how are you now? On this fine Saturday afternoon, how are you now? Folks, your Montreal Canadiens in the matinee on Super Bowl weekend, the first of two matinees on Super Bowl weekend, as a matter of fact, win 4-3 to in overtime over the New York Islanders. Hello and welcome to episode 52 of the Bottom 6 Minutes podcast. I am Matt Drake, and you are listening to the number one hockey podcast on Apple in Hong Kong. Shout out to anybody who's listening in Hong Kong. I had no idea that people in Hong Kong were listening to me. Um, I'll have a little bit more of an update on our, our statistics, uh, or my statistics, rather, for this podcast towards the end there. Uh, I do want to say a huge thank you to everybody who's continued to support it. Um, really, without people listening, there's no way for me to keep this going. And without the Montreal Canadiens... I would have nothing to talk about. So let's get into the recap because they are the reason that I'm sitting here recording this. Uh, it's 4.20 p.m. actually. Nice local time for me. A uh, little bit early in the day. And uh, the Habs, you know, they get going pretty early in this game. Uh, looking very good in those tank tops in the reverse retro sweaters. Usually they suck in those jerseys. I don't know what it is. They've always played absolutely horrible. This ended up actually being their first ever win in those sweaters. And that first period was was honestly, balance of play heavily favored the Montreal Canadiens. They were getting way more shots, better scoring chances, a little bit sloppy in the defensive zone, but overall looking like the much better team. And with just over five minutes left in the period, they strike first. Raphael Harvey-Pinard digs a puck out in the corner, cuts towards the net, puts a perfect pass tape to tape across to Nick Suzuki on the back door. He's not missing from there. He puts it in. It's one nothing, and the Habs are absolutely cooking. It's going well. Much better than you'd expect. However, a little later on, actually not very long after that goal whatsoever, Noah Dobson gets a point shot for the Islanders. It gets deflected by Brock Nelson on the way. Nothing Montembeau can do about that one. It's 1-1, and we end the first 20 minutes of play with the Habs definitely looking like the better team, but tied 1-1. Tide starts to change a little bit in the second period. Now the Islanders are, for large swaths of time, being able to hem the Habs in their own zone. Very heavy, relentless forecheck. Very difficult for the Habs to just get the puck, never mind get it out of their zone once they have it. And the Habs hang on for almost the entire period. It's 1-1 all the way until the dying seconds. The Habs are killing a penalty. And Bo Horvat goes into the corner. He's below the goal line, and he just kind of throws it towards the net. He's not trying to shoot there. He's trying to just center the puck and see if somebody could bang it in. And it goes somehow into Samuel Montembeau's five-hole and ricochets off of his skater, off of his leg. I'm not entirely sure, but it goes into the net. Um, that's a pretty ugly goal. Uh, not one that you want to see going into your net. Uh, definitely felt bad for Montembeau on that one because he was playing very well in that game up until that shot, um, or rather pass attempt that ended up getting through him. Jeez, uh, you hate to give up one like that, but what can you do? It's 2-1, to one, and that's your score going into the third period. But the Habs... They get back that fucking terrible goal less than five minutes into the third. They're on the rush. Evgeny Dadanov, he's coming in. Uh, he's had some problems shooting the puck in this game. He had a few opportunities that he absolutely fanned on shots. And this time, he makes a wise decision to leave it behind him for Justin Barron joining in on the rush. And he snipes one far side and ties this game up at two. First goal of the year for Justin Barron. Very encouraging. Now, they're going back and forth. Chances at both ends, both goaltenders, Semyon Varlamov making a lot of big saves for the Islanders, and Semyon Montembeau, 
Jeez, Samuel Montembeau doing the same thing for the Habs in his net. Um, really entertaining third period there because, like I said, they were going back and forth. He had a lot of chances. It was high-flying. Um, defense almost seemed optional at certain points in that third period. But then, like clockwork, you know, they're wearing the tank tops. They're wearing the reverse retros. You expect them to lose. And with just under 10 minutes to play in the third, Alexander Romanov, former Hab Alexander Romanov, takes a point shot it gets tipped on the way by matt martin yeah i thought that guy fucking retired i didn't know he was still playing hockey sure enough there he is he scores and it's three to two this feels like it's probably going to be the final score but wait there's more mike matheson puts one on net from the point kirby doc doing some excellent work uh down in front he gets a piece of it on the way it gets through Semyon varlamov again tips were very necessary to beat the goaltenders on this night or on this afternoon rather they were both very strong and we're tied up at three and we go into overtime now overtime i gotta say i was incredibly impressed by a number of performances but one guy in particular so Mike Hoffman gets a slashing penalty in front of the net at the end of a long shift. He should have changed. It was a dumb penalty, and it was a result of him kind of being flat-footed in the defensive zone. Uh, He gets a slashing penalty, and there's 2 minutes and 30 seconds left in the overtime period. So the Habs are going to have to spend almost the entire remainder of overtime shorthanded. David Savard has one of the most insane penalty kill shifts I've ever seen. He's blocking all the shots. We're talking clappers going right at his knees and he's not even flinching he's going in the corner he's getting physical he absolutely was the catalyst for the Habs not getting scored on and then just as the penalty is expiring Mike Matheson gets a hold of the puck up near the top of the circle starts his way out of the zone and he spots Mike Hoffman coming out of the box Mike Hoffman all alone throws a pass up to Hoffman Hoffman's in alone takes the shot he's stopped but the rebound comes right back into the slot and Mike Matheson he didn't just admire his pass he kept his legs moving he got up there and he bangs in the rebound Habs win but wait there's a review They thought maybe Mike Hoffman was offside. They took a fucking seven-minute review of that goal, just searching for anything they possibly could to make sure that the Habs don't win this game. And they can't find it. It's confirmed as a good goal. What a game. Um, That was about as entertaining. You know what? I'm just going to say it. That's the best game they've played in the tank tops in the fucking reverse retros. Bar none. Bar none. I mean, as soon as I, I, I didn't even realize until uh, I turned on the game today that they were wearing those jerseys, and I was like, oh man, I'm going to have to sit here in the middle of my Saturday, and I'm going to watch them go out there and stink it up, uh, because they, they always do, and they don't. They actually put together a, a real impressive performance against a team that's actually going for it this year. I mean, they just went out and paid a pretty hefty price to get Bo Horvat. So this is a team that, that has legitimate playoff aspirations. You know, you could say whether or not those are misguided is maybe a conversation that's uh, up for debate but at the end of the day this is a team that legitimately believes they have a shot to go and try and do something in the playoffs this year and the Habs know that they don't so this was a really impressive performance and I got to get to player of the game Uh, I honestly can't pick one so I'm going to give you several Uh, let's start with David Savard I, I have to I again talk about that shift in overtime man it was almost four minutes long he was on the ice for almost four minutes. Most of it shorthanded. Most of it with people taking clappers at his knees. That was a ridiculous shift. I've been tough on David Savard at different points during this season. Um, I don't think he played his best game overall in regulation. But when it mattered, 
when they had to go down a man for almost the entire remainder of the overtime period, he stepped up in a big way. Uh, you know, I'm always one to say when it comes to shot blocks, like I, I never like hearing the statistic of, oh, this guy blocked a lot of shots because what do you have to not have in order to block a shot? You'd have to not have the puck. The other team has it. That's why you're blocking shots because they're taking them, right? This was obviously shorthanded, so it's a little bit different. The ability, um, the the courage to get in front of those shots and the fact that they're hitting him and he's not even flinching, man, I, he blocked a shot at one point and then he went in the corner, I think it was Barzell, and then he wiped him out in the corner, like blew him up. He didn't even look tired. This is a four-minute shift for a big dude. I mean, you really have to hand it to David Saval there. Um, he didn't get one of the stars of the game uh, at the end, but realistically, he he maybe deserved to even be a second or even possibly first star for that penalty kill effort, man, because I really think, you know, four-on-three power play, if he doesn't do what he does, uh, it's, it's going to be tough for them to get out of that uh, with two whole minutes for them to operate. That was incredible. Then you have to talk about uh, Mike Matheson. I've also been tough on Mike Matheson at different points this season. I feel like uh, there's been some recent games. Going back to that one game against, um, who was it? Was it Tampa? I forget who it was. Anyways, when he landed that bump back high hit that was completely unnecessary and got himself a penalty and ended up getting a fine for it as well, uh, that game kind of marked a bit of a downward spiral for him and he started playing a little bit rough around the edges uh he's you know getting kind of pissed off out there and i think a lot of it had to do with the team you know not doing well and maybe that bothers him a little bit but in this game he was fantastic um that play in overtime man when you get the puck like that and you make that pass uh, what i said during the recap is you know he didn't admire his pass a lot of players you know, at a lot of different levels, not just in the NHL. You see it in junior too. They make a pass like that and then they have a tendency to just admire it a little bit, right? You're sending a guy in alone. You're like, all right, well, I hope this guy's going to score. Mike Matheson did absolutely fucking none of that. He got on his horse, got back into the rush, follows up behind Hoffman and he gets that goal, right? It would have been easy for him to also maybe even go off and change after making that pass. He had been on the ice for like three minutes at that point. Had he gone off for a change, I don't think anybody would have really faulted him. It would have been the wrong decision, but nobody would have faulted him because he'd been on the ice for so long. Great, great awareness to see that play developing, to follow it up, and then to get that goal. And he was dangerous for, I'd say, pretty much the entire game. I thought he was one of the better players overall for the Habs, uh, forward, defense, goalie, anyone. I thought, you know, he was named first star uh, in the Bell Center. Um, he was the first star in RDS as well. I think TSN had a different first star for some reason. Um, I'm not sure, but that's not really the point, right? He had a fantastic game, very much deserves uh, to be mentioned up there as one of the players of the game. And then uh, I'm going to keep going down the list here. You got to talk about Rafael Harvey Pinar again. Man, is he playing some inspired hockey. He, like David Savard, had a couple of really key shot blocks for them. At one point, he blocked a shot, I think it was in the second period, and then he had to leave the game for a minute. Like, he went down the tunnel limping. But he didn't even miss a shift. He was back right away. He basically went there to, I guess, stretch it out, uh, try to get the blood flowing a little bit more. And then he came right back on the bench, didn't miss a shift, looking dangerous every time he steps on the ice. This kid is perhaps, I said perhaps on Twitter, and I'll say it again here, perhaps the best success story for the Montreal Canadiens this season. I know Arbor Jack is up there as well, but I want to talk about this a little bit. The ability for them to graduate players from Laval that can end up stepping into your middle six or your bottom six is huge, right? 
you don't want to fall back into that old habit that they had under Marc Bergevin of overpaying for bottom six players. They were always going out, signing free agents, paying too much money for guys who are going to play in your middle or bottom six. Graduating those players, drafting and developing those players is far better than getting desperate and having to go out in the free agency market and pick them up for amounts of money that you don't want to be paying those players. Harvey Pinard is not going to be a superstar. We know this. But you got to let people be excited about him because number one, they drafted him in the seventh round. So ridiculous value if he plays in the NHL period, even if he doesn't score a bunch of goals, right? Number two, they actually developed him. So again, similar to the Jake Evans trajectory, picked in the seventh round, they work with him over the course of time and they get him to a point where he's actually capable of playing in the NHL. And then number three, this guy can actually play up and down your lineup. That is really the key to a good bottom six player is when they have that ability to play up with your best players when you need them to, when injuries happen, because that happens every year to every team. You're always going to have a need for somebody to play a little bit out of their depth. And he doesn't look like he's out of his depth playing with Nick Suzuki. Perfect pass over to Suzuki. The fact that he goes into the corner and digs that out and immediately turns, finds his way towards the net. He looked excellent in that game. He's looked excellent since he got called up. And again, the fact that he can play up and down in the lineup is going to make him extremely valuable to this team. When they can, you know, get a little bit healthier towards the end of the year and at the beginning of next season, I think we'll see him somewhere on the third, maybe the fourth line. Um, I think he'd be a great third liner, honestly. And then you have that fantastic ability that when a spot opens up higher up in the lineup, he can go right in there and he doesn't look out of place. So amazing news for the Montreal Canadiens that, you know, despite all of the misery this season, despite all of the injuries, they've found out that I, I really believe we have a player here who can actually stick in the lineup regularly next season uh, and provide a lot of versatility for them. Now, those were kind of the big names for... Um, you know, players of the game. So I'll leave those three as the players of the game, if you will. But there were some other really good performances as well. I felt like Kirby Doc um, had a pretty rough first period. I mean, the halves were pretty good in the first period, but his first period was not, you know, ideal for me. He uh, lost a faceoff on that, that goal and then uh, lost his man in coverage a little bit. So it wasn't great for him to start, but he got better as the game went on, right? And then ends up, you know, doing really great forecheck work, really great uh, down in the slot in front of the net and gets a tip on uh, that Matheson shot to tie the game up for the Habs. I mean, Kirby Doc, another great success story for the Habs this season, finding out that, you know, not only can this guy play, not only is he better than Chicago apparently thought he was, but he can play center. And as long as they figure out somebody who works on that other side with Caulfield and Suzuki to start next season, uh, I think they'll be fine with Kirby Doc as a number two center. Um, depending on if they add anybody or if they graduate any other prospects uh, between now and then. I'd also say Jonathan Drouin looked very good in that game. Um, not stellar, not his best game ever, but we know he's missed a lot of time this season, and you know, seeing him come back and uh, play pretty well is, is definitely a good sign uh, coming out of this other side of the, the All-Star break. We, we definitely need to see some players picking it up a little bit, particularly those who kind of maybe need a change of scenery like Drouin might. Uh, in order for them to get that change of scenery, to get a trade anywhere, they're going to have to pick it up a little bit. And that brings me to Mike Hoffman, another player who's 
probably on, high on the list of players that Habs fans want to see traded, uh, but also high on the list of players who will be very difficult to trade. But production is always going to benefit any potential trade. Now, let's face it, takes a dumb penalty in overtime, but what happens, gets out of the box, and then immediately he's a catalyst in the game-winning goal. I don't know. Mike Hoffman's probably going to need more production, more consistent production at the very least, in order to justify any kind of a trade, and the Habs might have to eat salary to move him. But at the end of the day, um, I think it's possible as long as he keeps playing well. The only player uh, who I'm going to kind of single out here as a little bit problematic is Evgeny Dadanov. Um, yes, he had the assist on Justin Barron's goal, and that was a smart move to turn around and pass that back. Uh, you created a lot of movement. You created a bit of a screen in front of the net rather than just taking your shot. And uh, Varlamov, anything that he was square to in that game, he was stopping it. So he was square to Dadanov, and Dadanov, you know, decides, all right, well, I'm going to turn around. I'm going to give it to Barron. Now you got a screen. And he's not quite square to it, and Barron's able to snipe. So that was a smart decision. So credit where credit is due, that was a good play. But he also had two golden opportunities to score where he just fanned on shots. Like Nick Suzuki put a pass across to him in, I think, the third period, and completely fans on it. It, like, flutters into the corner as a result. And even on RDS, like, Pierre Hood was, like, saying in French, like, qu'est-ce qu'il a raté? C'est pas possible. It's really not possible. I think most players in the NHL are putting that thing home. It was a perfect pass by Suzuki, tape to tape, right in the wheelhouse, and he fans on it. Um, I think the Habs are going to have a very hard time trading Evgeny Dadanov. Um, I'll be surprised if they do it. You know, If they get good return for him, um, I, I would probably go help build a statue for Kent Hughes immediately at the Bell Center because uh, I don't think that's going to be an easy one. But at the end of the day, doesn't matter. The Habs still won, so the fact that he missed those chances isn't that big of a deal. I just wanted to bring it up because I know a lot of people are wondering if and when he'll get traded. I think it's getting tougher by the day. Um, the, the more he misses chances like that, the, the harder it's going to be to justify uh, paying up to bring him onto your team if you're another general manager. Now I promised a little bit of news about the podcast, and again, I want to say a huge thank you to everybody who takes the time to listen to my bullshit. Um, we were number one hockey podcast in Hong Kong. We were also the number eight hockey podcast on Apple in uh, in Canada. So I, I know there's a lot of hockey podcasts in Canada. So the fact that we were in the top 10 uh, on Apple was, you know, it was, I, I felt pretty proud of that. And I, I got to say a big thank you to everybody who listens because, of course, I'm not going to be up there if, if nobody gives a shit to, to hear what I have to say. Um, I, I was stunned by that. I think we were number 20 just for sports in Canada at one point. I'm sure those numbers have fallen off a little bit since the break, but we're back. It feels good to be back. I'm going to have another episode after tomorrow's game, and um, hopefully I'll be able to get that one out early as well so that everybody can listen to it. Um, you know, when Vox made the decision to, to cut everybody at SB Nation, um, I kind of figured the podcast was going to die. I wasn't too sure. But I was like, I'm going to keep it alive. And, uh, you know, the response so far has been fantastic. So, again, huge thank you to everybody who listens. It's not possible without you. I appreciate it. And we're going to cut it off there because I'm already hitting about 20 minutes. So, since soirée énorme pour les employés de soutien, uh, we are on Spotify. We're on Google Play. We're on Apple. Uh, I'm on Twitter at DrakeMT. Drop me a follow. I would appreciate it very much. Thank you again for listening. And, of course, à la prochaine.